from a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thanks for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, we bring you Jukebox Republic. But first, we kick off the week with Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Monday, May 25th. I am John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is Shirley Lin. Hello. Up next, we'll be talking about Taiwan's plan to reopen to tourism. Then we'll be discussing what Taiwanese people believe you must do when moving into a new home, and a campaign to save a beloved naval vessel. All that coming up next. Please stick around. Today, though, a little update on a story we've been talking about on this program over the past few days, I guess. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we'll do a little recap first. Um, this, is a, this is a little kerfuffle that has uh, erupted over alleged plans to sort of close off the lobby of Taipei Main Station to people oh, sitting on the ground. Yes. Um, basically, every Sunday before COVID-19, uh, the station would fill up with migrant workers, I think largely Indonesians, but yes. I think probably from other countries as well. Um, On who, Sundays. It's because that's their one day off. Yes. And they would gather at the station and sit on the ground with some mats mm -hmm. uh, and some food mm. and just have a good time. It was It's pretty festive, actually. And they don't bother anyone, you know, they're just having a good time in a convenient public place, right? Uh, they're not blocking the path or anything. And it's convenient, f first of all, because it has a huge... The, 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 the lobby's huge. There's yeah, a huge open floor space. And it's indoors, and so... So not... Stay away from the rain and, and all the, that. And the heat, sun, the yeah. sun. And it's at the very center of where all the, the rail, bus, and other transport networks meet. And it's a central location. People from all over... North, I think beyond Taipei, even, probably yeah. take With the train the into there. town and hang out with their friends. So it's caused particular controversy, this alleged mm -hmm. decision to change the policy and close it off, uh, especially among migrant workers who understandably feel that this is really kind of thinly veiled target, uh, targeting them. Oh, Not so subtly. Okay. Um, it's supposed to be about, you know, disease uh -huh. prevention, and but yeah. is that really what it's about? So I can understand that. Uh, anyway, the update is uh, that we're being told now that there is no permanent ban. That's not going to happen. Uh, that was that came out on on Wednesday last week. Oh, that's good. Um, but what is going to happen is still completely unclear. Okay. Um, so uh, there they had a they actually discussed this apparently during a meeting of the cabinet's transportation committee. Mm. I'm sorry, on the legislature's transportation committee. So even lawmakers are, are spending their time talking about this issue. Right. Um, and so that was that that was where that came out, actually. But then one of the lawmakers, the KMT's Hong Kai, said that the station's hall is a public space and the rail authority, which is government owned, can't just like make decisions about that without consulting people. 
So uh-huh. it's not clear. And he suggested or she that uh, before making a decision, opinions be gathered from the public and new regulations be put down like you can't lie on the ground, uh-huh. which I don't get because if you can sit there, why? I mean, it's a free it's, country. It's not, yeah. Um, but and do not obstruct passersby, which I think is the really the big thing. If yeah. It, if it's it, like a tripping can, hazard, then. Yes. Um, but. The deputy transportation minister said the area will be reopened to the public eventually, but it's going to be redesigned. So I don't know oh. what that means. I hope not too much because it's very pretty. It has a very lovely checkerboard pattern on the ground. You feel like you're on a giant chessboard. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. they have a nice Christmas tree in the middle during the during holiday the, season. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. It looks very nice. It's um, a really big space. It is. Yeah, um, right in the smack middle of the train station. So the plan for now, it's going to be off limits through the end of July, which is understandable. We don't want people passing around COVID-19, right. even though we have it under control at the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're going to devise a plan for like how it can be used and make an announcement before late July, according to the deputy minister's understanding, so he doesn't even seem to be completely clear. They're still hashing out the details. Uh, the rail authorities discussed maybe installing seats, which I think would ruin it because it looks really nice. Like yeah. empty. Well, seats okay. would make it feel like an airport lounge, you know? Right. Well... I mean, I have some thoughts personally. Um, oh. First of all, I don't know about the regulations about the usage of that space. Right. Uh, except that, you know, knowing that uh, these migrant workers, they, they would use, use that space on Sundays. Right. Um, I don't know if they, you know, got permission or... They don't. No one I guess, has gave them permission. I think it just became a thing. Right. It just became it's a, a thing, place right? place to meet. And, um, um, and in any case, like what's in there, it's basically a thoroughfare getting from one part of that enormous station to the other. I mean, there's a, there, you could sell tickets there, but who buys tickets the old fashioned way anymore? We all have right. passes. Oh, well, yeah, actually there used to be these ticket booths right there. There still are, but, but like, if I don't you, think people use them. But the thing is that if you buy tickets, then you just walk away. You don't sit there. So why, why do you open... need for the benches? Right. But I don't know. Um, I mean, the only place thing, I think some people who don't have a pass or can't figure out how to use one. And other than that, it's like if you had a problem with your ticket and need a yeah, refund the older for some people, reason. They don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> or um, you need a refund for All some right. reason. Something went wrong. And, and I guess it's not fair for me to say this because I know that there are other events that do use that space. You know, they for, do have, I've seen, I don't a, know. I've seen different like they put up a temporary stage, exhibits. You know? yeah, te- yeah, temporary exhibits and so, put up a stage and do a, an activity there or something like that. Other ideas but, um, that they have are that there might be a time limit. Um, I think a designated time would be fine, like and mm. um, demarcation of where on the floor people can sit. So setting aside certain parts, but not the whole floor. So I right. don't know. Um, the other thing, and I didn't hear what ended up happening, but over the weekend uh, there was like a they were talking about like a protest, like sit-in movement. Oh. I don't understand why other people, other than migrant workers, are so worked up about it. But some people are, and mm-hmm. they were like going to have a sit-in, like storm the station. Which oh. just, it seems a bit. Not wise at the moment. I guess, and... you know, when people don't expect uh, to find... Because sometimes it can get close to 10,000 people. It's a lot of people. You know, just sitting there on Sunday. It's not and like so... it's a fire hazard. Like, they're, they can accommodate that number of people. Right. It's designed to hold that number of people. Right. But, I mean, I guess for people who, you know, come into Taipei and then seeing this crowd of people and not knowing what's happening... It can or... be a bit alarming, I guess. Yeah, not, I think it can but be. But it's very... It's not... They can loud get or obnoxious. <laughs> not... They're all chatting and eating away, and but that's what that's like. That's the sound of a station. <laughs> that's what that's like anywhere in the world. Is people passing through, yeah. making you know, right? It's kind of echoey. You know, it's that kind of. It's not a especially loud. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, 
But it's true. I mean, if they don't have that space, where are they going to go? Because well, that really is a central point where everybody's coming in from different parts of Taiwan to meet up with their friends, you so, know, that they do that once a week. Which or, is exactly why during COVID-19, actually, you can be fine for sitting there now. Right. Uh, which is, they said, that was I don't know if they find any protesters over the weekend, but that's what they warned is like, right now, you can be fine for sitting mm, there because it's closed. But right. I don't know, like an alternative space, great, but because some people have said the government should provide that. Yeah, or, and but I think they should. The yeah. other, but the thing is, like, it's not. How, it's, you know, it's going to be somewhere that's really not easy to get to. That's right. that's the thing about government the, offices, right? <laughs> in my experience, yeah. they're always in a very difficult to get to place. I'm sure it would end up maybe not being used. Well, maybe they use the um, the airport station. You know the the for the airport line, the airport MRT, There's no right by the train. Place, though. But it's a huge. Have you ever tried to take yeah, the I've been train? On, I've been in it many times. It's a long is... walk, almost ten minute walk to get to that place. So there's all that space in the between. Ho- so this is in the hallway, but that would block people because it's a that, narrow. It's long, but it is narrow. narrow. So that yeah, it's like in people's walk anyway, path. Yeah, oh, I don't know. That's what people are talking about this week here in Taiwan. So if you were hoping to come visit Taiwan and are kind of bummed out because we sort of shut everything down, the borders are closed, um, there is now a plan in place to gradually reopen transportation and tourism in three stages, the last of which would allow foreign tourists to visit in October. And I'm not sure if this is final or ten- tentative, hmm. but that's what the transportation ministry has said. Wow, so October, huh? In addition to dealing with... The station and people sitting there, they're also talking about reopening Taiwan. They're busy these days. Um, So, yeah, there's been, well, this article is outdated. There were like no imported cases in 13 days. This is from last week. We did have another case after that, but at least one. But here's the the plan uh, that the transportation minister laid out at a press conference on actually, it looks like May 15th. Uh, So the first is, I don't know why this is very important, but they're relaxing the ban on food. Okay. On food? Okay. Yeah, this is, we're actually, we seem to be in this stage, just about. Uh, from May 27th to 31st, to July 31st, passengers on trains will be allowed to eat food while oh, they're traveling. They can't okay. now. Um, okay. But they still have to wear masks. Uh, when they're not eating. <laughs> yeah, and then there's, uh, oh, the other thing is they're going to start letting people, I didn't know they'd stop this, but apparently they did. When we get to the Dragon Boat Festival in late June, they're going to let start, they'll start selling these standing room tickets. And non-reserved seats on the high-speed rail train. Oh, which, okay. Oh, that's a pain. Hmm. I've never bought a reserved ticket. <laughs> anyway, huh. um, step two, tourism subsidies. And they're going to, you know, slowly ease requirements on wearing face masks, which I'm not very happy about. I think everyone, <laughs> let's all wear masks all the time. <laughs> Finally, the big one, step three, opening Taiwan to international tourism. Um, because the pandemic is still pretty severe in large parts of the world yeah um this is going to be held off to last the timeline currently planned and this could be changed if things get worse is october 1st to december 31st uh during this phase it says the tourism bureau is going to coordinate with the foreign ministry and other organizations to evaluate how you know things are going and they're going to work together to achieve recovery and secure growth opportunities for international tourism. Because I know a lot of people in that sector have been just wiped out by this. Mm. Um, at the same time, they're going to cooperate, though, on gradually relaxing various border control measures, including restrictions on connecting flights. You can't do that now. Arrivals mm. taking mass transportation. That's also not allowed. Uh, and international cruise ships, which I think is probably the worst of all. the. Will there be international cruise ships? I don't know if we're going to be ready for that. That's been like a real... 
That's yeah. when, like, where the big outbreaks have happened, isn't it? Right. Um, but direct air and sea links via the mini three links that connects some of our offshore islands to China is going to be restarted. So they really, uh -huh. that that's optimistic, I think. But uh -huh. anyway, um, the transportation minister says that our successful control of the outbreak is the best form of international marketing and he expressed confidence that taiwan will see the fastest recovery of tourism in asia maybe even the world again i'm not sure about the wisdom uh, of that but yeah because yeah we've controlled it so far but we did that by sealing off the borders mm -hmm. at what we say in chinese just like to have it all going for you and to just mess it up to ruin it right <laughs> um, yeah have a loophole or something mm. um huh that that only means you know more work for those who are you know who do temperature checks and 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 that kind of stuff. That's at all the been outsourced borders. to robots. Oh um, really? Yeah, a lot of it's like robotic. When I last time I passed through there, like there wasn't anyone looking at the screen. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, um, I always take the the train from uh went to get get home and uh, switch to MRT the subway system and there will be you have to walk when you walk through the um the token you know you have to um they they have they they have it set up where they it, you know you get your temperature taken remotely but there's still someone sitting there okay. you know and all geared up actually I've never seen and, that and yeah at its own sand um MRT stop and you know that they've been there. I don't know how many hours. They look so like a, tired. Why just that one stop? I've never none of the other stops I've you know, gone on and off. I think the... it's only the major stops that actually would have these remote temperature That's, taken. They all need that. I know or they at least do. Most of them. I know it. It, it makes like sense if you have idea. one, then you should have them all, right? But oh, I don't know. We're okay. doing so good at this, but the thing That's is that not... I don't. know. It's starting to worry me. I mean, opening up, you know, I mean, for tourism, we could, I think we could I'm really worried. see a I mean, a second wave. I don't know. I'm not sure how wise know. it is. And I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think even they quite s seem to know yet. I probably will be very selective, certain nationalities from, because, you know, we're talking about these travel bubbles, right? What about, from, oh, what about from the U.S.? I don't I've know. I've got a friend who's actually um, enrolled to take the Chinese language class at Shida, um, NTNU, starting September. I don't think that's going to happen. They may have oh, to do it remotely. No. <sighs> It, it, they, they, the program has not, not talked to him about you know doing it remotely. Mm. He was originally signed up for June first. Then oh. he said that he's going to delay, and that you can only change like you know delay your your enrollment once. Oh. And I'm thinking like, what's going to happen to him? I don't know. He's so excited about coming to town and studying Chinese and maybe uh, staying on. You know. Oh no. Oh, That's a great is... experience. I did it, but I think yeah. now it would not be the great oh. ideal time. I don't know if he'll be, he'll oh, be allowed man. in. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but that's sort of the general plan at the moment, it seems. So we'll, we'll see. Over to Shirley now with a look at customs that Taiwanese people believe you should follow when you move into a new house. Okay, what happened was that uh, this guy, he just bought a new house. And Mother's Day was coming up, so this was just a couple weeks ago. And then um, his wife was going to invite her parents and, you know, to the new place and, and visit. Well, um, not only the husband is not really, you know, he, he's not used to having a lot of people at his house at one time. But then he figured that, well, you know, just give in to what his wife wants to do. But the thing was that not only did his uh, her parents come, but... He, they also brought the, her, her uncle, and he was going like, oh, wait, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with, you know, my, my in-laws, but for them to bring, you know, their 
I mean, my, my, my wife's uncle, like oh, more relatives than other odd. than the in-laws. It was a little much for mm. him. Well, then, so, um, uh, and not only that, the in-laws were going around to into each room and opening up all the closets and looking in and everything, and he did not like that at all, <laughs> you know? And he was like, you know, telling, he was like trying to, every opportunity to tell his wife, you know, this is disrespectful. And she yeah. was going like, oh, it's no big deal, you know? And um, anyway, so then, uh, I mean, the in-laws were actually praising the husband, like, you know, Oh, you know, this is my uh, our awesome, you know, son-in-law. You know, he just spent only a little bit of money buying this beautiful house and all that kind of stuff. And but the thing is that he didn't like the fact too that after they, you know, visited, ate, and you know, used the house and everything, mm. they left without helping clean up, and he was really hey. upset too. Anyway, of course, there were some people who agreed with him and thought, you know, that wasn't nice and that wasn't courteous and mm. that was disrespectful. But there were others who were saying that. Oh, if it's just only once in a long while, that's okay. And then there was was saying that, you know, buying a new house, of course, everyone wants to come over and look at a new house. You know, you should be okay with that. And and also, um, and actually somebody was saying that, you know, you must, you have to see it the way that your father-in-law is actually very proud of his son-in-law that he was able to, you know, buy a new house for his daughter, you know, with a measly income or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's actually a good thing that to, to see it in the positive, you know, <laughs> side of it. And then there were others who were saying that, well, you know, they suggested that he could have communicated with his wife before the in-laws arrived and then just let him know the do's and don'ts, you know, or the things that he likes and doesn't like and get a consensus about it. And then there were others who were saying that, um, you know, you should have just let your wife tell her dad, you know, about these things that you don't like, you know, instead of you coming up and saying it because it would just upset and Mm. make it a really awkward uh, situation. Then there were others who were saying that actually it's a tradition. Because when you buy a new house, when time tradition is that you invite a lot of people into a new house to chase away all the bad luck and, you know, all the evil in, and, and, and to send in the good. And so actually more people in a new house would bring it more vibrancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually it's a good thing. You know, it's a good tradition. And actually I've heard about this before, hmm. although it takes some time to get used to, I guess. But, I don't you know. know. Um, I know that... Um that there is a bit of a concern that there may be some lingering whatever in the in when like for instance when people in Taiwan some more traditional people go into a hotel room but they'll knock yes. on their own hotel room door before they even enter to give right. whatever's in there a moment to disperse <laughs> so i yeah. guess it's sort of a similar idea like when you want you want to get a good start before you enter your new home and like yeah. really live the start living there I guess so. I guess some people even like, you know, if they're really traditional, they probably have some kind of ritual that they do before they move into a new place. Maybe. And, you know, of course, feng shui and all that is all, you know, on the side point. But, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. And and I didn't really believe this thing about, you know, going to a hotel and walking to the hotel room. You should knock first and just say, hello, you know, I'm excuse bothering me. you. Yeah, excuse me. Because I actually... I actually had an encounter with some really weird supernatural thing that <laughs> happened at this old hotel, um, over at Beito. It's one of those, you know, hot spring old hotels. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, you know, so it's that was really the knock first. weird that night. I did not sleep at all. In fact, uh, my other two friends that we shared the room with, we did not sleep the whole night. We didn't realize that until the morning because they were feeling weird and I was feeling weird. There were all these noises and the light was flicking on and off hmm. the whole night. Wow. It was weird. So, so. <laughs> knock first and have a big party when you move in just to get anything that not so nice out of the way. Get it, like, give it some time to disperse. When the naval ship Zhonghai was decommissioned in, on February 1st, 2010, it became the last Taiwanese naval vessel to have uh, seen combat with Chinese warships. Oh, wow, that goes way back. And now it may be headed to the scrapyard. Oh, okay. Um, so people in Taiwan, especially history buffs, I guess, are trying to drum up support to save it um, because on May 15th, uh, the, the Navy announced it would sell it and uh, for scrap. Military enthusiasts were alarmed and tried to immediately to get support built up for having it preserved for its historic value. And on May 19th, an anonymous buyer purchased the ship and welcomed anyone interested in buying it to contact him before it's sent to the scrapyard. So we have a, a little oh. deadline. I don't know exactly when, but uh, the winning bid was $14 million, which is 467227 U.S. dollars. The new owner is expected to tow it to a scrapyard in June, but uh, is willing to compromise with military fans. Uh, says if you want to acquire it, you know, get in touch as soon as possible. As long as the price is close to his original build, uh, he's willing to resell. Um, I'm surprised that the Navy is going ahead with went ahead with the sale uh, in the first place. And I'm surprised also that the U.S. Navy didn't have something to say about this because this is a U.S. built ship oh. that saw significant action through World War II. It was built in 1944 and launched on July 11th that year. And commissioned August 3rd, it saw Operation Action in the Philippines through 1945. Uh, it was transferred to the Chinese Navy, now the Taiwanese Navy, uh, in before you know after the Civil War, in 1946, um, and renamed. And uh, of course, the Civil War immediately broke out in China, and uh, the nationalists fled to Taiwan, and here we are today. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, in the process, though, there were a number of naval engagements, uh, especially in, near the offshore island of Jinmen, which uh, is still administered from Taiwan, even though it's within sight of China. Uh, it was defending the island from uh, communist Chinese forces in 1958. Uh, you know, for a while, th these things, there were occasional sort of blow-ups, uh, and it was credited with sinking at least two Chinese torpedo boats during that action. It was then hit itself by a torpedo when voyaging from Taiwan to Jinmen again, and uh, eight were killed and 12 wounded. So there were 30, that doesn't add, add up, 30 casualties, <laughs> including eight dead and 12 wounded. What were the rest doing? Uh, anyway, um, uh, Zhonghai also fought in a, a campaign in 1948, a battle, the Battle of Nanshanwei Island in 1950, the Naval Battle of Zhejiang in 1954, and the Battle of Dachon Archipelago in 1955, and it says among wow. others. So oh. that's after a storied history through World War II. And like I said, it was the last vessel in the Navy that was still around that had seen combat against Chinese warships. So uh -huh. uh, I don't know. I wonder if they'll be able to save it in time. Well, That's... the U.S. was probably busy with the COVID-19 pandemic. So well, they, they, gave it all, they gave it away to begin with, I guess. They, okay. They've got plenty of other World War yeah, II era yeah. warships hanging around. So What do you do with decommissioned warships and they you still want to keep museums. it? That's all I can think of. 
I've been to I've been to one in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, there's a old I guess there's warship. enough space on on the sea to keep these you know warships and, and turn they had them into a museums. still living a World War II veteran there, like as a volunteer, talking about. So you could ask questions. Like mm. I don't know. If, so like I feel there's there is a there is value in saving it and it's a very american thing to save them. i mean, i visited you know one airplanes in too. san diego i think it was i, I think we were talking about the same place right right yeah it was really huge i mean nice walk and take some awesome pictures with the planes on yeah, on yeah, the yeah. deck and all that but uh but, um i feel like yeah this is definitely worth finding a nice you know place for it to actually we should have one taiwan doesn't have a you know, a warship turned into a museum that I know of, anyway. Yeah, we're we're also on about water. We can just keep a yeah, ship. It's probably and... <laughs> a nice place where you can be respectfully retired. Right, that's true. That's true. A... So I wonder if they'll be able to come up with the four hundred thousand or so U.S. dollars in time. Well, for now, though, we'll leave you in suspense. Uh, <laughs> that's it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste, and I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's Rebecca Verde Shirley with Jukebox Republic. <laughs> Welcome to Jukebox Republic. I'm Shirley Lin at Radio Taiwan International. Now, if I were to ask you, what's a Taiwanese pop song that stands the test of time? What would you say? Of course, there are many, but then I've only been back in town for 29 years, so my list is, you know, pretty short, I guess. But to start off, though, I think I would think of Teresa Tang, that town's cultural icon, widely regarded as one of the most influential singers in Asia. She's already passed away, but when I think of her, I think of the song Ye Lai Xiang, which means evening primrose. Yeah. 
Now, recently, I had the honor to speak with one of our longtime listeners of RTI's English language programs. That's Brian Newell of Logansport, Indiana, USA. Now, of all the songs from Taiwan that he likes, he did mention that Yilai Shen is one of them, especially、uh, an a cappella version by David Tao. The way it's a cappella in the David Tao version, and just the way it's produced, it just I sing it in a, like an amateur a cappella group, and to hear that was just like it just. Stopped me. I bought the album. I was just really amazed at the sound. <laughs> yeah. And you were saying that you really think the fact that there is Google Translate, you finally could figure out what the lyrics is all about. It makes it easier. <laughs> Back 20 years ago, I, I'd like to have the little dictionary with the small print. It took me a long time to look up those words, and I never quite got a grasp of it until you know Google Translate is a big help. <laughs> yes. And after you realized what the lyrics is about, what were your thoughts? Well,、uh, yeah, it's a love song. The thing that draws me to it really is, is the sound of it, just the beauty of the sound. And they they got that those、uh, tracks where they go into the like the older version of it and like an old time sound, and and then they they come into the modern stuff and they transition so well, and、uh, it's just really well done. I know that you have a liking for Simon God's music. I actually have the album called Wildfire Spring Wind, and、uh, a couple of the songs in there you really like a lot, and I'm I'm going to play them. One is called Myth Sunhuan. The other one has got a long, long name. If I can say it right, it's the M I Y A M. What is it you like about Simon God? Wow, she's her voice is just so beautiful.、Um, Andrew Ryan had a contest years ago, and if we wrote something in, we had a chance to win this demo album. And I I wrote this. This is what my impression of Simon God. First time I heard her voice. It might have been right after that 9/11, so it was kind of a troubling time in the in the world. And、uh, this is what I thought about it:、uh, Why do we like Simon God? She sings about life in an age of despair and death. She affirms what is positive in all of us, reaching towards heaven with her voice, straight from her soul, honest and without guile. She sings for us all. That was my impression of her voice. It just totally touched me. I, I was just moved by her voice. Well, that's beautiful, and it's,、mm-hmm. it's so appropriate at a time like this when we're going through this、uh, COVID nineteen outbreak. It's similar, isn't it?、It's、yes.、Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about her voice? You know, apparently she was、um, singing in the restaurant and got discovered. Something about Aboriginal peoples, their voices—they're totally God gifted. They're just,、mm-hmm. you know, so powerful. Don't you think? Yes, she's singing from her heart. You know, she's not singing to perform. She's singing out of of, of love of life and.、Uh, It's just a, a pure, beautiful form of art. I, I just respect that greatly. What do you like about Myth Senhua? This song in particular, because apparently really like this one. Well, I just I just thought it was a beautiful song、uh, the first time I heard it. When people listen to music, they're not listening for perfection. Really, they they want an emotional experience. Like if you're going to a concert or something, you want to be moved by the music. And I felt like her music did that for me. It, it moved me. I mean, you could talk about the elements of music being spirit and truth, or or、uh, technical proficiency and poetry. If you look at it that way, and I, I think she combined both those. You don't want something that's so perfect that it's stale and boring, and you don't want something that's so emotional that it, it doesn't have the the true pitch and the the inner、mm. beauty of it. But I,、yeah. I think she combined both of those in, in just a fine. An authentic way. And as for this other one, you said that whenever you listen to the song, wow, it, it's a motivating song. It's like a can-do song. It's like if <laughs> if I have to do some kind of work I don't really want to do, I'm kind of like not motivated, like housework or something. 
I can put that on, and it's like, all right, I can do it now. It just it boosts me up. It's a, a real positive and encouraging song. It's a harvest song, really. You know, right, right, right. Celebrating this festival, and I think they're, they're saying something like, Ima Yama Ya, Ima Yama Yam, or something. The, the women's voices singing in unison is just, just a powerful thing. And so here's a couple of songs from Samin God. The first one, Myth, Senhua, and the second one is Emma Yamayama. It's a harvest song. Yeah. 
ra pono yo mayana hu 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 wa hu 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 wa kasa kasa gara bura bura yana hu 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 wa hu 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 wa kala yo da yo wa kari ayamana hu 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 wa hu
Now, Samingad is an Aboriginal Taiwanese pop singer and songwriter. She's of the Puyuma tribe. She won Best New Artist Golden Melody Awards in 1999. And in 2001, she won Best Aboriginal Female Singer Award for the album Wildfire Spring Wind. Her music draws much of its inspiration from Christian gospels, as well as stories about their tribe uh, through hunting and lifestyle, and also about their people's struggles in Taiwan's contemporary society. So talking about Samin God, I also think about another indigenous singer, and that would be Ilit Gaolu, Ili Gaolu, whom Brian also has a liking to. Ili Gaolu is of the Amis descent. She won Best New Artist, Best Aboriginal Singer, and Best Indigenous Album in 2012 with her debut album, My Carefree Life. She says that her music is inspired by her farming because she and her husband are organic rice farmers. So let's have a listen to My Carefree Life.
Thank you so much for tuning in to Jukebox Republic. I'm Shirley Lin, and I just want to play another song by Iri Galu. This would be Xiuxi. And this doesn't play fairness to all the classical Taiwanese songs, but uh, I shall do another episode next week with some of my favorite classics from Taiwan. Again, this is Iri Galu with the song Xiuxi. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.